Hi, I'm Miller, and welcome to episode 16 of the Miller's Game Room podcast. I'm your host, Miller, and uh, yeah, this episode's a little late this week because I am doing a uh, format change, so I'm going to get on to that in a second. But first, if you like the podcast, please like do the usual like, comment, subscribe, five-star reviews, etc., and so on and so forth. Um... First off, about the format change, I have been making more videos on like my YouTube channel and what I'm doing to like split my time a bit more is I'm moving topics over there so I can be more about topics there and here's just going to be more about news and I'll try to pepper more commentary with the articles where I can so it's a bit more balanced out and also to make the podcast a little shorter. Uh, part of the reason is also because disability-wise, I like tend to really zone out after a while of recording, especially after the 30-plus minute mark, and then it gets more of a pain to edit, and it just tires me out because I make more mistakes, and it's just really tiring for me to deal with, so anything to make the work a bit easier for me, but also produce content is something that is important to accommodate, not just for me, but for you, and the same goes for any other person who creates content, Especially if you're also like disabled, marginalised, etc. and so on and so forth. Okay, there's quite a bit of news. So all of this goes back for the last two, three weeks. Because there's a lot of good stuff that I want to talk about. And good things that will interest people. So let's get started. First bit of news. Uh, the Klonoa Fantasy Reverie series has been dated. July 7th from Japan. July worldwide for all platforms. So not just for Nintendo Switch, which was previously like confirmed it was also like ps4 ps5 pc etc it's good to see this series come back uh the Konoa fantasy reverie series has remind masters of the wii version of Klonoa one which was a remake of the original as well as Klonoa two on the playstation 2 both of those games are now leaning towards the expensive side nowadays by the way so it's good for collection value as well uh, this release also contains like difficulty settings and two-player co-op, which is really cool. So I'm interested in this. I want to play these games. They look cute. And also platformers, accessible, retro, yippee. Next one is um, Grim Grimoire Once More, uh, coming to PS4 and Switch in Japan. So this is another like remaster, remake, etc. of a Vanillaware game. This one is a RTS, so real-time strategy game. It was released by Nipponichi Software and, well, developer Vanillaware as well for the PlayStation 2 worldwide in, like, 2007. So it was quite a late PS2 release. So, um, it, from what I understand nowadays, the PS2 version, like, while it was good, did have some rough edges, from what I believe. Like, there's things that have been added and fixed in it because this isn't, like, a massive remake like Life Reserve, for example. This is just a remaster with some enhancements, so like high resolution graphics, widescreen aspect ratio, a fast forward function, which is like why that wasn't included originally is anyone's guess, a mid battle save function, uh, difficulty adjustments of the hard mode and more, um, skill trees funk system, uh, gallery mode, uh, great magic types that can be used and newly illustrated cutins for it. So yeah, it looks like there's been some enhancements there. Uh, at the time of recording, it's not been announced for the West, even though I can't see it not being announced for the West. I think it will eventually get announced by N- Nice America, because it looks great. And I think, especially after the 
the success of like 13 Sentinels kind of bringing a spotlight back on Vanillaware because it actually very recently came out on the Switch. It will be the time to like probably bring some more stuff over. So yeah, I'm all I'm all for this. I'm excited for this. I hope it gets picked up. All right, now for the next part, which is a massive joke. Babylon's Fall. Babylon's Fall. It's bombed because it's you look on Steam and like last week it got to a point where it had under 10 concurrent players like for a live surface game that's not even two months old that's bad very very bad because it shows no one is playing it like you can't sustain a fan base on just 10 people especially for a game that's uh to be frank a bit shit and even so just after 8 p.m on the 19th of april the number according to the steam info site was zero so there was literally nobody playing it on the 19th of April after 8pm. Like, imagine failing at a game that badly. So, yeah. Lol. Ha ha It sucks. It's failing. And it's great. It's obviously bad for the game, which is good because, one, it's shit, and two, it's live service. And bad for low-level devs who worked on it. But it's good because it will teach Square Enix and Platinum Games, both of whom have expressed interest in creating more live service games that... Creating more live service games is not a good idea because nine times out of ten they're going to turn out to be complete and utter wank. Alright, next bit of news. Uh, Xenoblade 3 launching July 29th. Um, I was quite excited for this was first like revealed because it like had a trailer which I've not watched. Like I've seen snippets but I'm trying to keep going as like clueless as possible because I want to experience it fresh and get blown away for the first time. It looks incredible. It's launching July 29th worldwide for Switch. And it's actually been pushed forward because originally it was dated for like September period or something like that. Um, but in the West, it's going to have a limited edition. Uh, this time around, they're actually identical. Like normally Europe gets better at these, but this time Nintendo Europe were like, yeah, we'll just do the same as whatever NOA are giving them. And in the US, VLE has the Steelbook and a massive art book with the game. And in Europe, I'm guessing... It's the same thing. I mean, the US will probably just put the the, the game in the in the steelbook, whereas in Europe we'll get a separate case, but that's usually what happens. So maybe Europe will get a slightly better deal, but I don't know. But yeah, um, that's interesting. So that's probably going to easily be my game of the year because I will be wanting to get that day one. It's going to be uh, interesting. Uh, other news, uh, Splatoon 3 has been launching for September 9th so that got swapped around with Xenoblade 3 and uh, the impression is that a lot of people are saying that Xenoblade 3 is content complete so it's done and Splatoon 3 needed more time so they're like oh we'll just swap them around and that makes sense like if you want to swap them around that makes a lot of sense so if you want to do it it's still good we're still getting the game so they still look good uh, I never really got into Splatoon much uh, I did try Splatoon 2, did play it for like several hours, but it just wasn't really my thing because it's an online shooter. But I really like liked what it went for and its unique atmosphere and charm. Like Nintendo doing their own like online shooting game was always going to be different compared to what's expected from the mainstream. Like the mainstream is basically military, blood, gore, war propaganda and that kind of crap. And with the Switch... It was basically, here's Nintendo's flagship Splatoon coming from the Wii U, which was clearly a success. Well, the game was, but not the, the Wii U. And let's expand it and make it better. And um, that's basically what the Splatoon series is on the Switch. And yeah, uh, not really big into Splatoon. I, I like the game, it's just not for me. 
G-Mode announced that they are re-releasing a Atlas-developed feature phone RPG for the Switch in Japan. No date or price announced. And the interesting thing about this is that the feature phones in Japan, especially in the 2000s, before I get onto the game itself, was basically these like fully-fledged like games, like one-time purchase for these phones that were kind of bound to providers and contracts and stuff. Uh, did you know Gaming did a full video on it because there's a whole concerns about res preservation because of how so many of these games are exclusive to it. And because they're exclusive, they've never been re-released. So the fact that a game has been picked up that was originally a feature phone game is quite cool. Like, I've talked about Hero Must Die before, which is also a phone game, which did get picked up for both the Vita and the West on other consoles. And this is, now as for the game itself, this is Megami Tensei Gaiden Shinyaku Last Bible. So this is actually a Last Bible game, which is a uh, Japan-only, like, spin-off. Like, we might have got one in the West, but I don't think we did, unless it was US only, because Atlas loved the US and not Europe, until, like, four years ago. Um, this game is... I um, don't know too much about it, but the story is set on the... Um, no, this is what I'm just going to read straight from the article. So, if you excuse me. The story is set on the tragic planet Galeria, where the demon lord is resurrected and launches an invasion every 100 years. With the demon lord's resurrection approaching, the protagonist sets off on the journey to save the world as a candidate to become the next Gaia Master. The saviour who will defeat the demon lord. You know, now think about it. That, so- that story sounds so similar to Hero Must Die. What a- the irony with that. Anyway, an English version, that would be really cool. Um, I think as soon as G-Mode, it might come out of here. I'm hoping it does, but... going to be, like, um, cautiously on optimistic on that one. But it's really cool that's even a thing. Even if it only stays exclusive to Japan. Because it opens up potential fan translations in the future. Next up, uh, Digimon Survive, uh, that game that's been in development hell for like four fucking years, is like, um, Bamco basically went, wheeled out a uh, video with the producer, where the producer's like, I'm proud to finally inform you that Digimon Survive is coming out on July 29th, otherwise known as the same date as Xenobate 3, which, um, this was likely planned before Nintendo announced the date swapping thing, but it basically means that Digimon Survive is probably not going to do as well now, because if people are seeing... Digimon Survive, which is a VNSRPG hybrid, which might not be very good compared to Xenoblade 3, which is uh, pro- which is considered to be like most anticipated game for many RPG fans. A lot of people are going to go with Xenoblade 3, especially on the Switch. Um, the thing that's in Digimon Survive's favour is that Digimon Survive is a multi-platform game, so like it's on PS4, it's on Xbox Series as well. Um, Xbox One, not Series, but you could play it on Xbox Series because the Xbox One has backwards compatibility. As well as uh, PC Fire Steam. So, uh, yeah, if you don't have a Switch, you might be more likely to pick it up. But I have a Switch, so I'll be playing Xenoblade 3. So that's me and a lot of people. So bad timing is a really bad, bad, bad timing. Really bad, 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 bad timing. Official Game Boy and Game Boy Advance emulators for the Switch have seen me leaked online. Uh, basically were posted on like I'm not sure where but it was at a questionable source but it would appear to include a Game Boy emulator called Hayoko and a Game Boy Advance emulator called Sloop. Uh, they appear to have been developed by the Nerd Team which is a Nintendo European research development team and has often handled emulation software for official Nintendo products like Switch Online and uh, Mario Sunshine emulation that appeared in the um, Switch 3D All-Stars pre-release 
Uh, yeah, it's interesting. There was like 40 games test on it, so like from mainstream platformers to RPGs, even a few Japan-only titles that were tested on it just to prove its capabilities. And a lot of people are going, oh, but does this mean soon that there's going to be a, a Switch like a Switch Online re-release package um, for Game Boy Advance emulators? I would say yes. Like it should have been there, like when it day one when the thing came out, because it's a uh, it's quite hypocritical for Nintendo to go, oh, we don't want you to, to play these games on emulators. You must consume our official products. And here they are doing emulation for their own official products. Like, it's just blatant hypocrisy and coercion and control. And it's it's pathetic, really. Um, when it's finally out, because if this is real, which, it, let's be honest, it probably is, uh, it will be like, oh, let's... Um, it's better late than never, so... And if it's released, like, don't put it on the fucking £50 tier. Put it on the lower tier. And, like, fucking hell. It's just, just take your sweet time with this stuff. But it's also good it's been leaked because, like, it shows that they're doing something. And regardless, leak, it appeared to have been dumped from a Switch. So, obviously, like, assuming when it's real, it works on base hardware. So, uh... That's interesting, so interesting to see um, when that comes out, but it'll probably be this year. Alright, now on to the visual novel news, and there's quite a bit, because um, there's stuff that I've in here that's been, but what even happened before I uploaded the last episode, and I was like, oh shit, I've already done it, so I'm going to have to fucking wait till I next want to talk about it, which is why this is so big, but you know, I'm going to talk about it, because one, I'm excited, and two, I don't care what people think, within reason. Um, first one, uh, Mahatsukai no Yoru, otherwise known as Witch on the Holy Night, launches in December in Japan and has English tech support included. So, this is noteworthy because this visual novel is by Type Moon, who, um, are most known for Fate Stay Night, Fate Grand Order, uh, Tsukihimi, and also like Koen IPs that were released on consoles in English, like Fate Extra, Fate Extella, and those kind of things. So, that's what makes it interesting because it's always been a case of omitting the original VN. So, like, Fate Stay Night was the visual that spawned the Fate series. Uh, Fate Hol- Holoraterexia is um, the fan disc for Fate Stay Night. Tsukihimi is another like, classic game, which has been widely put for up with remakes for years. And then the first part came out last year in Japan. And then... Then there's this one, Witch on the Holy Night, which is actually kind of like the origin story products-ish that basically served as a base for everything else. So this story was originally written in 1996 by Nasu himself, and because it had the groundwork, it was quite influential in that respect. And then in 2012, it got ported... Not ported. In 2012, it got turned into a vision novel for PC. And alongside Fate Tonight, if you look at things like Manga Gamers localization surveys, it was commonly like one of the most requested things. So people were like, bring Fate Stay Night over, where's Fate Stay Night? And it never happened. And now this is a thing, it's coming to PS4 and Switch in December in Japan. And as I mentioned with the English text, that was confirmed in a press release direct from like Type Moon. And I'm guessing that the physical will be published by Anaplex, which uh, also did like Melty Blood, Fate Grand Order, etc. So this is really big news, because assuming this does well, which I think it will, because it's a time moon, um, it will set the ground well for releasing these other games in English. So these other fish novels will finally, finally, finally get an official release. 
and that's really big and I'll be I'll be jumping on this train if I can pick up this uh, tight moon game and uh, play through it it's going to be really really cool so um, I'm hopeful it's uh, lives up to the hype and I believe it will especially with all the action battle sequences and stuff like that it does look cool Next big news, uh, the Utah Warimono 20th Anniversary title. Now, technically, this isn't a VN, more of an RPG. However, most people, when they think of Utah Warimono, in Japan think of it as a VN, but in the West, more JRPGs, because, well, there's SRPG segments. And today it was basically confirmed that it's launching September 8th for PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4 in Japan and PC Worldwide. Uh, PS5 and PS4 versions are published by Plus themselves in Japan. You have the uh, games, limited edition, retail bonuses, that kind of thing. No news on a Western publisher. Maybe very soon it'll be confirmed by a Western publisher. Probably nicer. Um, and the PC version is coming out worldwide via Shorufune. You can go on the Steam page. You can see the English text for the description and stuff. Like, it is cool to see that a series as niche as Utawarimo is getting a worldwide release, especially for what is basically a 20th anniversary title that's kind of like set place, kind of like set between the first Utawarimo and Mask of Deception, although you might need to play Mask of Deception first because of the characters in it. If that kind of makes sense. I'm not sure because I've not fully like read into it, and there's a reason for that. Um, but you know, it's still cool to see that it exists. But the um, I took some of the thoughts on it that were not as positive though. Uh, the first one, uh, no Switch version. Uh, why the fuck is Act Plus, a company known for vision novels and RPGs, not releasing a vision novel RPG game on the Switch in 2022, when the Switch in Japan and worldwide is like the best-selling platform for more niche RPGs, and it's it just baffles me, and it disappoints me a bit, because it's like, I want to throw money at Aquaplus for English Switch games. I want to, because I want, like, of all the developers on my list for, game, for companies I want to see fully embrace the Switch, Aquaplus is the only one that hasn't done it yet, and it's frustrating, if I'm honest. It's frustrating, because... I'm seeing, like, his game on, like, on PlayStation, like, it makes sense to PlayStation and PC, because that's where uh, visual novels and Act Plus base are, especially in terms of in Japan, back in the Leaf days, but also when they moved to consoles, most of their games were released on PlayStation, there were a few exceptions, like, even Xbox got a, a game, like, one of Act Plus's Japan exclusive games is Tenereza, which is one of the few original xbox exclusive games in japan which is really strange and nintendo platforms did get dog Pond up which is a dog upon spin-off game which i'm going to get on to this uh, the other utah spin-offs in a second because that's the other takeaway from this and yeah it's a bit disappointing uh i'll probably still play it like i do still want to play it but i'm not as excited for it now because i feel like it's like it's in that respect, somewhat mishandled by not having a Switch version. Like, I do get simultaneous worldwide releases from a company perspective is more difficult. However, it is still disappointing, if I'm being frank. Um, the other thing as well is... 
I think the fact they've chosen to release this worldwide also means they're probably not going to release any of the previously released Utah games between the Utah 1 remake and Monochrome Mobius in the West. So that includes not just the phone game Lost Frag, but also Utah Warrior Zan 2, which is basically the first Utah Warrior Zan, but slightly better and covering Mask of Truth Story instead of Mask of Deceptions. As well as the Document Up game, which is the whole like board game crossover collab with Sting, which uh, basically combines Utawarimono with the gameplay of Dokapon, which um Dokapon is a like a board game like RPG like crossover thing. Sting did separate Dokapon games back in the day, and some of them did come west via Atlas, so that includes a DS game and the PS2 stroke Wii game. Which, so we did get them in the past, but I, so I thought that one would have been picked up, but it wasn't. It's one of the, the few Switch games that has a fan translation patch, which I think, considering this point in its life cycle, is really cool. So that exists. So at least there's an English option for Dockerpon Up. So, overall mixed thoughts, like, I'm glad the game's coming out when it's been dated, but yeah, no Switch version kind of sucks. And it's a shame. Moving on to games that are actually coming to Switch, uh, Taisho XL has actually got a uh, surprise Switch port release on April 14th. Um, the game came out on its own with just Japanese, but you pay an extra $5 or so, you can get the English patch, which is a bit weird, but considering the game came out originally in Japan back in 2019, it kind of makes sense and it's much, much better than nothing. This is actually an Otome game. Uh, based off um, Primula's Taisho Exale series, and it's all bundled them together, so hence the name, well, all in one. And the DLC also applies to the Japanese physical copy. If you buy the Japanese physical version, you can go on the Japanese eShop and buy the English DLC, and then you can play the game physically with the DLC, which is really cool, actually. The second thing is... Even If Tempest, which is another Switch Otome game from Voltage, is launching digitally for Switch on June 9th. It's fully voiced and is actually exclusive to the Switch, which, considering Voltage is a phone developer for games, it's a bit weird, but still good news. Switch must be making uh, loads of money for them. And finally, the more bigger news this week. Uh, Nintendo have uh, finally been put in the spotlight regarding uh, how they treat their workers, which is... uh, I expect it to happen. It's still sad, but it's happened. So basically what happened is a contractor filed a labour complaint against NOA and the contracting company Aston Carter for basically undermining the right to unionise. There's a bunch of like legalese and stuff in the article, which as someone who is not American, thank goodness, I um, am not familiar with the American law, so um, I'm not 100% sure exactly how it works there. So... um, so um, if you're American you probably know how bad this is aside from the general like oh unionization is good company stopping it bad either way um, this complaint um, was first reported by Axios and then Kotaku uh, went on to do a uh, deeper dig and managed to speak to four sources that said that complaint that was filed uh, came after a part time employee spoke about unions in a business meeting and was later fired mid-contract. And they said this meeting took place in February, and a remark asking for general comments about unionisation in the games industry came 
at the end of a Q&A period at the end of this session. And then the employee was fired shortly after for allegedly violating their non-disclosure agreement in a comment on social media. And sources said that this comment that was used was uh, extremely vague and based on past disciplinary actions would have only warranted a warning at best. And instead they believe that the contract worker was uh, retaliated against for this comment in a February meeting, which absolutely does make a lot of sense. So there are other things as well. Uh, there's the article's quite long and detailed, so I'm not going to go into all of it, but I took out a few notes. Uh, basically, the contractors and the full-time staff are basically like a two-tiered system, so temporary workers have been cycled around on 11-month contracts with mandatory two-month breaks in between. Breaks are sometimes longer, and this is done to basically get out of uh, giving them health benefits, which is a very common trick like used in the US. So... Yeah, it's pretty fucking nasty. Uh, Testers make as little as $16 an hour, which on the surface sounds good, but in reality it's not only not enough to live on, period, but it's much less than even, like, neighbouring Seattle's living wage, because Nintendo, like, they're not based in Seattle, but they're not far from it, if that makes sense. Yet testers are given the expectations where they have to perform the same as full-time workers, but are not given, like, the benefits to match like they're expected to take on mandatory overtime and they have limited access to Nintendo America's facilities such as the Mario Cafe. And even reading that is like, wait, there's a Mario Cafe? And yet, here I work at Nintendo, but you can't even access this Mario Cafe, which actually does sound pretty cool because it's, well, a Mario-themed cafe, but if you're working for Nintendo, regardless of status, you should be able to access the bloody Mario Cafe. Just, it's a shame, but yeah. And the most... uh bad example that was shown off there were other things as well there was one involving health insurance which i'm not going into because that one's a bit grim in particular but this one is about basically the whole working from home ableism thing which um basically if you've been listening to disabled people you will know that a lot of them have been like during the pandemic have been like we just this is why working from home should have been normalized and just seeing the whole like the adjustment period of companies moving to remote working and just kind of seeing how it was always possible and it actually made jobs more accessible for disabled people and then it all goes into the whole like keeping disabled people actually safe so they can work and an important like defense against stopping the spread of covid as well and one worker Elizabeth Pring was actually reprimanded for like pointing out this contradiction in the sense of that the, the manager, the full-time staff, was basically being able to work from home because of health concerns. But yeah, she was like, but why do contractors have to come in? Which is basically what's happening. And Pring, like, the article says that Pring is, claims to be immunocompromised, but let's be honest, no disabled person would lie about being disabled or this kind of thing because we don't get rewards or perks for it because uh, ableds are... Uh, very unkind to people claiming they're disabled, contrary to what they believe, in most cases. So, it basically means she's immunocompromised. And yet she was basically chastised, being like, you should have gone through the proper process, and that kind of thing, by like, the managers and uh, Nintendo. And eventually herself and, like, five other people were, like, had a meeting put in for Friday, and they were, like, put into this meeting, and then they were basically let go. So her and uh, all these other contractors were basically let go. And yeah, it's it's just a 
very bad, the whole thing. And then even worse was after this meeting, it says that she was brought back into a meeting of the Nassim Carter recruiter. It was then chastised again, like, for not going through the procedure and bringing it up to managers and you shouldn't have done that kind of thing. And it's just like, you're already going out the door, why are you having to go at me again? It's just, That's basically what she was saying, and it's just, why? It's just, oh, God. And I've seen this shit firsthand in these articles like this doesn't make it any less, like, disappointing and infuriating, especially as this is basically classic capitalism in action because Nintendo is a corporation. They do this crap routinely because they're a corporation. Uh, we had stuff from, like, Sony... Um, Activision especially, as well as Ubisoft especially, uh, Microsoft probably had some as well, I'm not, I don't remember off the top of my head, and this is just Nintendo, and there's also more in the article, which is worth reading, if I remember, I'll link in the description of the podcast, well worth a read, and yeah, just, it's disappointing, but I'm hoping this needs more people speaking out and bringing forth some change, which is what's needed, not just for Nintendo, but for everyone in general, and it's good that these companies are finally getting held to account. Alright, now as for what I have been playing. Uh, first off, uh, Steam Prison, which is a uh, Otome game from Hunate X. I've actually finished it. I'm going to do a full video on it on my channel because there's a lot I want to talk about and uh, so I can gush over husbandos and characters, which is pretty cool. And also go into details about like, trigger warnings and overall like recommendeds for the route and that kind of thing. So I'm going to give a summary here. Um... This game is very dark. It's kind of like, it's kind of rooted in classism, which is someone who's like lived in the UK, unfortunately. Um, it's kind of something I can relate to in the sense you've got the higher classes, the heights area at the top, and then you've got the, the underclasses known as depths, and it's kind of that structure. And the, you play as a police detective called Cyrus Tistella, name changeable is uh, basically gets framed for the murder of her parents and gets sent down to the depths to basically live her life. And um, it's interesting the direction it takes. Um, there are like six guys, as well as the, the grand ending, which you have to do all the other routes first, or the, the guys' good endings. Uh, you've got like Inez, Elfcreed, Ulrich, uh, Adage, Yune, Finn, and... And then the grand ending, which is basically the, not a harem ending, but basically the good, good, good ending. Like, the best possible ending. And it's you've got to do your love interests and roots first, which is uh, very long. It took me about 25 plus hours to finish it. But bear in mind, I'm a fast reader. If you're faster, it will take you longer. And there's uh, quite a few endings for each character. Um, just to clarify, like, these, like, some of the endings are quite bad, as in, like, a lot of the characters, like, in his endings tend to usually involve death, often including blood, uh, mostly with CGs, but a lot of them don't have CGs, especially the one where it's just kind of like... Because there's some endings that are basically a bit anticlimactic, where you press the choices and the character's affection goes up, as if by magic, when you get to that point in the story, the character survives, or something happens where they don't actually get killed. But yet, if the affection goes down... It's basically like, in this situation down the line, you actually get shot and killed, or something like that. And it's like, this doesn't feel much like... It doesn't make any sense to have that, because you're still getting shot. Like, why? It doesn't make any sense, and it just feels a bit redundant, and a lot of these bad endings, like... A lot of them are quite dark, and a lot of them just feel a bit redundant, if I'm being honest. 
and easily skippable. Um, some of them do have more interesting like backstories and stuff like that, and more explanations for the plot, but it's a bit... I can see why people were warning that in this game there's a lot of bad endings, and there's a lot, and I'm not really a fan of these bad endings that offer no practical purpose. Like, I much prefer, like, tragic love endings if you're going to do a bad ending, or even a sad ending. Like, sad endings and tragic love endings, like, they're, like, the ba- the best bad endings for me personally, and not just, oh, here's this illogical choice, boom, shoot, dead. As for characters, I really like the protagonist. Uh, she gets shit done. Uh, badass. A bit naive. Like, it's she's like like 18 in canonical age and is basically, uh, as a police officer, believing in justice and that kind of thing, which it's nice to have a character that's a bit badass and actually is proactive, which I really like. Um, they are for love interests are good. I don't want to go to spoilers because it'll take way too long to go into it and also talking about them all, but I like them all uh, to differing degrees. Uh, mostly all good, which is nice. Um, I really like the art as well. The art was done by, I can't remember who it was, but it was the only visual they've ever worked on today, which is a bit weird. But, you know, it's good to have the experience, especially for a game like this. And so was the music. It was really nice, and I did really enjoy it. At the time of recording, it's currently 30% off on the eShop. Uh, hopefully it will still be 30% off when the video goes up, alongside their other, like, Switch English releases. So that's going to be interesting. Um, it's definitely something I'd recommend, but I'm going to do a full video on it at the some point sometime soon because, well, it's Oturbe, and I want to have more VN reviews on Miller's Game Room YouTube channel. Please subscribe to it, and I'll uh, promise you more good content on millersgameroomyoutube.com. Um, and the second game I've been playing, um, Groundlands of Free, The Dual Darkness. This is an SRPG uh, developed by Atlas and CareerSoft. It's quite old. It was originally released, like, firstly in, like, 2002, 2003 time. It was a long, long time ago, uh, about 20 years ago. So it's very old, and it came west on the PlayStation 2 in, like, 2004 as part of Groundlander Generations, and it's considered to be um, the second best in the Groundlander series, and chronologically the first one story-wise, which is interesting. Uh, it's an SRPG with elements of turn-based as well and typical, like, map exploration it's kind of interesting. It's like you're playing usually like a turn-based RPG in terms of like the map, the towns and that. It's really cool. And then you've got the battles which are more like real-time SRPG. Like you take turns and then at the end of real time you can stop and change commands. It's really interesting. It's really unique. And I do recommend people try out at least one Groundlands a game. Especially because it is a, an important part of RPG history, a part of Atlas's history as well. Even it's very obscure, like the same people that made Groundlands a series um, originally made Langrisser, which is a separate thing developed by a different company, and would later go on to make the Devil Survivor games, which are considered to be among the best Mega Ten spin offs. And I've played a bit of Overclocked as well. It is good, but really brutally hard. Uh, but these RPGs are hard as well, but. I've played Wayfarer Time before from the Groundlander series, and it was kind of... I liked it, but it was kind of meh, but I'm kind of vibing with Groundlander, like, free a lot better because of its music and because it's, it's shorter as well, and it's also a bit easier. And that's got that in its favour. And uh, at a time of making this um, podcast, I'm about three-quarters of the way through because it's not too long, and it's pretty fun to play on emulators as well because it is an old game. It never officially came out in Europe, and if you're looking to play it on the PlayStation 2, 
and it's a bit pricey if you want a physical copy and especially if you never came out in Europe so you got to get it from the US or get hacked PS2 stuff like that which is uh, way too complicated stuff to go into so it's good and I um, don't know if I'll do a video on it but I think I'll be talking about it more in the future like I want to at some point do like an SRPG video because I like SRPGs especially like tactical ones so uh, stay tuned for that on Miller's Game Room YouTube.com um, I think I'm going to be done for today now because uh, I'm still testing the format so I'm not sure how this is going to be received like it's taken me a while to get this done and I'm hoping that I can do things a bit quicker next time so you know um, stay tuned on Miller's Game Room for more video gaming content which is going to be really cool um, please like, comment, subscribe if you're on YouTube or from other platforms like Spotify or Apple Podcasts uh, like uh, five star reviews etc and so on and so forth uh, thank you so much for listening to the podcast today and hope you have a wonderful day bye bye